Um, I have some kids, y'all, and um, one of them is, they're, they're both kind of in those um, middle school, high school age years, and what's going on now is we're now at the place where when my wife and I need to go somewhere, we no longer have to have a sitter. We can leave them alone, um, and usually it works out pretty good, but praise God, we don't have to always get a sitter. But what happens is we usually give them some ground rules when we're gone, and um, our youngest, when our oldest starts saying, here's what we need to do or you need to do this or that, the youngest has a phrase she always likes to say, you're not the boss of, you're not the boss of me. She says to the old one. Then she tells her, in two hours, mama's going to be home. She's the boss of me. <laughs> and after mama's home, daddy's the boss of me after that. You're not the, she loves to figure out the organizational structure of how it all works. I don't, I don't want to get caught up in all that. But that's, you're not the boss of me. And so many times in our relationships, we get caught up frustrated about who's the boss of who. And like Big Mike said here, we need to worry about being the boss of ourselves sometimes. And I've got one simple concept today, one simple phrase, thought, sentence that I'm going to share in a few minutes that I want you to think in every conflict. It might not solve the conflict, but what we want to do is lower the temperature of every conflict that we go into. And we want to realize that we all have a part in that conflict. Now, I want to ask you to stand because we're going to read James chapter 4. So would you stand with me as we read from James? And we're going we're gonna to jump here and see what James has to say. James chapter 4, we're going to read the first part of verse 1. I need your help online at the campuses here. I need your help. Let's read this together. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? We're going to stop right there. What, what, what is the source of these fights and arguments among you? And if you're like me, you're saying, James, you've got it all wrong. The problem's not a what problem, it's a who problem. Do you, have you met my mother-in-law, James? She's always telling me to do this. She's trying to run our household. She's trying to do that. James, have you met my husband? Have you met my wife? Have you met my kids? Have you met my coworker? They always do this, and it drives me crazy. James, it is not a what problem. It is a who problem. James said, you've got it all wrong. That's why I wrote this letter. You know, there was actually um, a well-known clinical psychologist who disagreed with James also. He did not think it was a what, he thought it was a who. Here's how he wrote it in his writings. He said, y'all gonna make me lose my mind. Y'all gonna make me go all out. See, I, I know what y'all were doing 20 years ago. Y'all gonna make me act a fool. Y'all gonna make me lose my cool. Yeah, he, it was, it's y'all's fault. That's what the psychologist DMX taught us. Don't go Googling that. <laughs> it's y'all's fault. And what James is saying, that's why I wrote this. Because as long as you think it's a who, you miss what the root cause of every conflict is. Let's read the next part of verse 1. Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? Is not the desires, is not the source of everything what wages war inside of your body. It's not a who, it's a what's going on inside of you. It's what's going on inside of me. It's every single conflict has something inside of me that is broken. You can now be seated. We're going to read the rest of this as we go throughout. Amen. Well, here goes what happens. Every single time we think it's a 
who, I know what you're saying, you have not met my boss. You've not met my crazy uncle. It is a who. And James is saying the source is something really that's going on inside of you. The fights and conflicts are not because of the inability of the other person to agree with us. It's really what's going on inside of you. We think that if we can just get the other person in the conflict, our spouse, singles, our coworker, whoever it might be, we think if we can get them to see our point of view, which is always the right point of view, of course, if we can get them to see our point of view, then everything will be fixed. Let me tell you how this works out. Just last week in my family. Um, th- here's how this works out. Um, amen. My daughter is now running track and field, and she's um, in high school. She's running track. She's running the 4 by 200 relay about a week and a half ago. Everybody runs 200 meters halfway around the track. There's something very important in every relay race, that you get the baton in the handoff zone. Before the zone, after the zone, you're disqualified. My daughter was the last leg. She gets the baton. She finishes the race. After the race, the red flag comes up. They were disqualified. At home, we start to debrief why they were disqualified because she got the baton out of the zone. So we start, my wife, my daughter, and me have a debrief session. I ran track for a lot of years. My wife ran track for a lot of years. So we're like, what's going on? And my daughter says, here's what happened. The coach was supposed to help me when to start and stop. And the coach got distracted with another athlete and the coach couldn't be there. So I didn't know what to do. So first of all, I'm like, oh, that's a nice way to pass the buck. This is not the coach's fault. This is your fault. You didn't know where the handoff zones were. And then my wife chimed in, Anissa, praise the Lord, who's in this service. Amen. She said, uh, no, 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 if, if, if the coach had been there, it would have helped her. And I was like, no, you don't understand the 4 by 200 relay. She really does, but in my mind in this moment, she didn't. So you don't understand because she's the last leg. Everybody else gets to mark off their spots, and they've got a whole lot of time to do that, and she didn't have all that time. So it wasn't going to help her out if the coach was there. My wife said, no, you don't understand. The coach if the coach was there, it would have helped her. And I'm like, no, let me, let me try one more time. Um, <laughs> takes them about 26, 27 seconds to run a 200. So they're only going to have about after they run, and she has time to get on the track, they're going to have like 45 to 50 seconds to get her in place. I was like, that's not even enough time for the coach to help. It would not have made a difference. My wife said, if the coach was there, it would have helped her out. So I think I just tried to describe it about two more times, um, and at some point, my wife was like, okay, whatever. She didn't say it that way. She, she, was, she was the much more mature one in there, but what I learned from that conflict that really hurt me was, um, number one, I tried to coerce, I tried to convince, I tried to control, I tried, to conv- I tried everything we do when it's not going our way. Let me just keep trying a different angle. And my wife, who's run just as much track and field as I have, reminded me. She said, every time you tried to explain it further for something I knew, all you did was make me feel more dumb. Ouch. Here I am trying to argue my way like I'm a lawyer through the conversation, and I was actually getting nowhere because I thought I was right. Here's the deal. Every time we're in a conflict and we get frustrated, here's why we're frustrated. 
Because we're not getting what we want. Let's look at the rest of this passage. James chapter 4 verse 2 says it this way. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. Oh, we're already going to murder? (laughs) That's a big step. Are you really going to kill someone? What he's saying here is you have desires and lust and you have things that you want. And if you think it's all about you, and if you think everything is about you, me, 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 I need what I want. If, if you think it's about you and not dealing with them and you're selfish, here's what he says. When you point the finger at them and say it's who and not what, he's saying here's what happens. You have the capacity to do some of the most extreme nasty things. He says here's goes what happens. When you think it's a who and not a what, you can murder a relationship. You have the capacity to feed the worst inside of you and me when we point the finger at someone else. Look at what else he says here. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So you have desires, you have envy, things you want out there and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Look at the next part of this verse. You do not have because you do not ask. Here's what he's saying. You don't have peace in these situations because you don't ask the right way. Here's what we normally ask. God, will you fix them? My problem is not inside of me. My problem is them because I'm so prideful. God, will you fix them? Will you change them? God, will you do what only you can do? And we don't realize that we need to be saying, God, will you do something in my life? And God says, I can't give it to you because you're not seeing it right. I want to show you how conflict gets a little bit messed up because we think we earned it. We think we deserve it. And, you know, we think, you know what, we agreed on it. We want, here's here's what we want. We want our spouse to come home on time because we agreed on what time you were going to come home. And you're not coming home on that time. So here's what. I'm upset and we're in conflict. Why? Because I'm not getting what I want. I want my kids to stop arguing with me. I want my kids to get ready so we can get to church on time. Praise God. I want my boss to give me credit for the ideas I contributed and he doesn't. Every single one of these things that we say we deserve, guess what? We think we deserve it, but we get frustrated because we're not getting what we want. There's something broken inside of all of our conflict when we think, you know what, it's their fault. Here's how we we jack this up. Let me show you the logic of conflict in my life. Praise God. The logic of conflict in my life. Um, This is what conflict looks like when it's either um, something's going on and it's my fault or something's going on and it's my wife's fault. It's called the logic map. And they're trying to find that and they're not gonna, oh there, yes. Praise the Lord. It's the marriage logic map of Matt and Anissa. This is going to get real. So when we have conflict um, or an issue come up, um, when Matt's wrong and Anissa's right, Anissa's right. It gets really complicated from here on down. Now, when Matt's right and Anissa's right, Anissa's right. Just checking. It gets more complicated. When Matt's right and Anissa's wrong. Oh yeah, this is all this is this is real fun for everybody, isn't it? Now here we go. 
when Matt's wrong and Anissa's wrong? Matt's wrong. <laughs> now, this is hilarious, and I want you to know this is utter foolishness. This is not how we operate. This is one of the biggest lies in conflict. Some, some men say dumb things like happy wife, happy life. Let's just shed some light on this because that is running from conflict. That says we're just going to pretend like everything's okay so that we can be happy. I need you to know this is a joke. It's hilarious, but it's a joke. This means we're running from conflict and we're not being real with ourselves. And here's what we have to say. Here's the one thing that's going to change everything in conflict. When conflict's happening and I'm not getting what I want, and you're in conflict, you feel the temperature rising, here's what I need you to say. It's very simple. I need you to say, you know what the problem is? Temperature's rising. You know what the problem is? I'm not getting what I want right now. I mean, what's the comeback to that? You know what the problem in this whole thing is? I'm not getting what I want. This is going to be a little awkward. I need your help. I'm going to say you know what the problem is, then you're going to say, and I need you to practice this, I'm not getting what I want. This is your way to own the issue. You know what the problem is? I'm not what I want. That's right. In every conflict, you know what the problem is? I'm not what I want. Now, is that going to solve the problem right there? Probably not, but here's what it's going to do. It's going to lower the temperature immediately. I'm not getting what I want because when we don't get what we want, we can say, you know what, I'm owning that I have a part in this problem, and I'm going to be a little bit humble in this situation because when I get too focused on you, the other person, Here's what I learned. I can't control my spouse, my coworker. I can't control them. And I have the capacity to do some crazy things because when I realize I can't control you, then sometimes we give ourselves a hall pass and say, well, if I can't control them, then I don't have to control myself. And we give ourselves a pass to do some crazy, foolish things because we say, since I can't control them, I can do whatever I want also. You know what? I'm not going to take that path. I'm going to control me. Here goes what happens. We don't always get what we want, and that is okay. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, did not always get what he wanted. He did not always get what he deserved. Look at Philippians chapter 2. I want to read you these passages out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and then 7. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Although he was the same as God, he did not grasp that equality. In other words, he said, you know what? I, I, I don't have a hunger for the fame, for the power. I'm not grasping towards that, although I'm God. You see, Jesus Christ was spit on. He was tortured. He hung on a cross. And Jesus Christ could have said, you know what? I'm going to boss up right now and say, I'm Jesus. All of y'all fall down. He chose not to boss up. Jesus chose to go to the cross. Look at what it says he chose to do, verse 7. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being in the likeness of men. Jesus Christ chose to empty himself. In every situation, here's what Jesus will do. He will always nudge us away from self-centeredness 
and pride, and he'll nudge us towards other-centeredness and humility. Away from self-centeredness and pride, towards other-centeredness and humility. He will always say, it is okay sometimes for you not to get what you want or even what you think you deserve. That is okay because many times that draws us closer to Jesus. Now let me pause right here and throw an asterisk in there. I'm not talking about things that will do lasting damage to your marriage or relationship. I'm not talking about physical abuse or repeated infidelity. I'm not talking about the extreme situations. I'm not saying you just endure and work on yourself. Sometimes there is a spot where you have to distance yourself. I'm talking about the 95% of other things that we argue and wrestle with. And God says it is okay because sometimes you don't always have to get what you want. And when you choose to focus on others and empty yourself, guess what? When you empty and when you step to the back of the line, God says, I will make you bigger and better and I will put you back at the front of the line. Let the game come to you. Do not force it is what God tells us. So what we have to do is we have to say, you know what? You know what the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. And look at ourselves and how we're looking at the picture. Now, we're gonna jump into the notes and I've got some things we're gonna go through very practically. We're gonna, I, want, I want to tell you, so, so we've got these conflicts. How do we know when to fight and when not to fight? We're going to talk first about the battle zones. And are you even in the right zone for fighting? Let me tell you about the right zones for fighting. There's two parts here. Number one, in any issue or conflict, we have to look at the importance of the issue and the readiness of the people to deal with the issue. The importance is how important is this issue to you? Readiness is how ready are you to work on it? These things are critical. Here's some questions to ask yourself to see how important the issue is. There's some questions to ask that will show you how important the issue is. Praise the Lord. Number one, will the result, this is in your notes, will the result of this really matter? Will the result of this conflict or issue really matter? Number two, do I feel wounded because of it? Number three, is there a threat to my values? And number four, how much am I thinking or worrying about this issue? How important is the issue at hand? Now I wanna tell y'all, we have a problem with some of the issues that we choose to fight about, praise the Lord. I've got a toilet seat. I've got a thermostat. Remote control. Toothpaste. Toilet paper. Ooh, and a light switch. Now, I just want to get into this for a second. There's too many of us that think that when you go to use toothpaste, you just grab here and squeeze. No. You grab at the bottom and twist up and squeeze from the bottom. We choose to fight over foolishness. There is one way to do this, okay? You don't have to fight about that. Some of us think, no, this is not the time to say tell it. Um, some of us think it should be on 70. Some think it should be 76, like we're recreating summer and winter. <laughs> I have an app on my phone, so I can just change it from my phone no matter what it goes to. Praise the Lord. Some of us think that the toilet paper should come around the back. Yeah. No. Yeah. It always comes over the top. 
No. Yes. Okay. Amen. You don't have to fight about that. Um, toilet seat. Up, down. Up, down. I'm not getting into that one. Everyone in my wife's family has supernatural Avenger hearing. I can't hear the TV when it's on level three volume, okay? Can I get up to 20 or 30? This is a good one right here, the light switch. This may not be yours. This is one of ours. So usually my wife goes to the bedroom at night before I do. And then typically I'll walk in sometime after, the lights are on, and then I'll get in bed. And she'll say something to the effect of, I'm going to over-dramatize. She'll say something to the effect of, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and I'm like, what? She said, why, why didn't you turn the light off when you came in? I didn't turn the light on. <laughs> why do I need to turn it off? You can guess how that one goes for me. I get up and turn the light off. How important is the issue at hand? How important? These are the foolish things we argue about, not important. Here's the top five things that couples really struggle with. Money, sex, work, parenting, household chores. Those can be big things. How important is the issue? Then after importance is readiness. So how important, I got toothpaste on my hands, praise God. Um, how ready are you for the fight? You have to ask yourself the question, am I emotionally amped up? Number two, am I irritable? Number three, am I hungry? Might not be a good time to fight. Number four, am I stressed out? And number five, am I pressed for time? You need to ask yourself each set of these questions to determine, is this important and am I ready? Because you don't want to get into a fight that you're not ready for. Some of us always are ready. We think we're always ready for a fight. We, here goes, we invite the fight. Bring it. Come on, I'm always ready. No, you're not. Calm down. You're pressed for time. You're hungry. You're stressed out. You are not ready. How ready? And what we have to do when we feel the temperature rising is we have to determine, are we in the green zone or the red zone? Red zone right here. In the red zone, it's all about me. Green zone, all about we. Red zone, I am emotionally charged up. Green zone, I am based in my, my, my conviction at the given time is on the values, not my emotions. Red zone, I am disproportionately intense over foolish issues. Green zone, I am proportionally intense of what the issue is. I'm intense on important things. I'm not foolish over silly things. Red zone, I am stressed out and I feel everything is a threat and I just want to protect. Green zone, I feel like everything is a situation for God's grace to come and opportunity for grace and peace. Which zone are you in when conflict starts to rise up? There's science behind this. The green zone is what we'll call in our brain when conflict starts, the green zone is our cortex. It's the upper part of our brain. 
And when we're thinking in our cortex, we're thinking calmly, strategically, and everything makes sense. You're thinking very well in your cortex, the top part of your brain. Here's what happens when a conflict comes. You know you're in that moment of a conflict when, when it starts to rise up. It's kind of like when you're playing ping pong with someone and you're just like, oh, yeah, we're practicing. And all of a sudden they, they wind up on you. And then you're like, oh, we're doing that? Okay. Okay. Let's go. And it's like, oh, this is where we're going? All of a sudden you've gone to the lower part of your brain, the limbic part. This is science. And here goes what happens. We go from calm thinking to irrational thinking. And the limbic part, all we want to do is we want to protect ourselves. That is not a good place to be when you're fighting. We go into protect mode. And I want to give you one very simple principle. When you go into this mode, a lot of times our voice starts going up. Here's the principle. This isn't in your notes. The higher your voice goes, the lower your intelligence goes. The more you raise your voice... Let me just be real, the dumber you get. High voice, low intelligence. And usually what happens is when you go back and forth and you feel like, oh, it's going down, we try to raise our voice to be more assertive, to coerce, to convince. We do all these things. And what we have to do is say, hold up, I'm in the red zone. I need to take a deep breath and I need to pause. And we need to figure out which zone that we're in. Here's our battle zones. This is in your notes. So we have importance and readiness. So with the battle zones, we have importance and readiness. We have important and not important, not ready and ready. If you have a not important issue like the light switch and you're not ready, you're in an irritable state, that is what we'll call a dumb fight. You will lose every time. It's not important. It's not the right time. Don't fight it. An important issue, maybe it's parenting, but you're not ready for it. That's a risky fight. I know you might think, I like risk, I like to live on the edge. No, you don't. This is Las Vegas, the house always wins. The deck is stacked against you. I know it's something important, but you're pressed for time, not the time for this fight. It's too risky to go into it. Let's go into the ready zone. Not important and risky, that's a non-fight, that's a conversation. Best case scenario, it's not an important thing, I'm ready, let's talk about it. Important and ready, that is a good fight. That is where we're fighting for our marriage. We're fighting, we're going through conflict, we're blessing our marriage because we're in the good fight zone. Now this is just you. This is not talking about your spouse or the other person in the conflict, okay? This is just you. Here's what we're trying to do. This does not fix everything, but we wanna eliminate fights in the not ready zone. We want to eliminate the dumb fights and the risky fights. And if you're in here and you have a spouse in here, home run if you both are able to think about this grid and lay it on top of each other and figure out when it's the right time. If your spouse isn't here or you're single and you're in a conflict, what you want to do is try to still eliminate when you enter in and you're not ready. At least have yourself in the best place ready for a situation and know when you're not ready. And say, you know what, there's a friend of mine who works here at the church, and he said him and his wife, they have a word they say after years of being married, when they get into a conflict and one of them feels they're not ready, they just say, safe place. Safe place is their code word to each other that we need to pause and we need to reschedule this because I'm not ready to have it. 
And you need to be mature enough to pause because sometimes some of us pause and we feel like we're just, our spouse feels like we're living a life always on pause. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. That's me sometimes because I like to run from fights. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. You've got to be mature enough to set a time and say, here, go. we're going to set a time. Friday, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., when the kids are asleep, we're going to talk about this. That's your battle zones. And again, our goal here is to know which zone we're in so at least we have the best chance of eliminating the dumb fights. Now, not just the zones, you also have to know your fight style. How do you fight? How do you throw down? So we've got our fight styles here. There's two important things for our fight styles. It's assertiveness and riskiness. Assertiveness and riskiness. And here's what assertiveness is. It's in your notes. Assertiveness means it reveals it's on the back page on the left side. How willing are you to talk about what's troubling you? How willing are you to talk about what's troubling you? Some of us in here are too willing to talk about what's troubling us. Amen? (laughs) Some of us just like to freely tell the world what's going on and what's wrong. Some of us like to hold it all in. There's a tension. Some of us overshare. Some of us undershare. This is all about the issue at hand. This flexibility is about the relationship. How willing are you to accommodate what's troubling your partner? This is how willing am I to let them share what's troubling them? Some of us are like, yeah, talk to me. Some of us are like, I don't have time for that. Now, here's how these play out with different kind of fighters. So we have an axis here on your notes. You're high expressive to your low expressive. I want to share. I don't want to share to flexibility, I want to hear what you have to say versus I don't care what you have to say. This is going to show us five fight styles. This is for you to know which style you are. So first style here is a competitive fighter. The competitive fighter has one song they play all the time. All I do is win, 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 (laughs) no matter what. The competitive fighter, all they care about is winning. In the grid here, the competitive fighter says, I win, you lose. The competitive fighter is the image of a shark. They're just going to bully their way through and overpower everything else. That's a competitive fighter. They just care about the win. Next down here, we have the avoidance fighter. So they say, I win, you lose. The avoidance fighter says, you lose, I lose. I don't know about you. The the imagery of an avoidance fighter is a turtle. When conflict comes, they go in their shell. Now, I went to the University of Maryland. Our mascot is a turtle. Oh, praise the Lord, Maryland. Um, Our mascot is a turtle, and that just happens to be what I am. I'm an avoidance fighter. So whenever something goes down, I tend to just go in the shell. Going in the shell can mean I'm just going to go scroll on my phone. Going in the shell can mean I'm going to go play a game. Going in the shell can mean I've got some TV shows that I'll just go watch. It just means whenever I feel conflict, I'm going to remove myself and just, it can mean silent treatment. Um, you, you pick it. I can do them all. Um, <laughs> if you've ever been to an escape room, um, and it, when you go into an escape room, there's all these puzzles and gadgets you have to work through to get out of the room. The challenge is there's no directions. When you walk in, you have to figure it out as you go. Living with an avoidance fighter is like living in an escape room. You don't even know what battles you're really fighting because they've just said, I lose, you lose. And they avoid, avoid, avoid. The next one is the compromising fighter. This is someone who doesn't even want to fight. This is a, the, the imagery here is a fox. 
I'm not going to win, you're not going to win, I'm not going to lose, you're not going to lose. They're just like, can we just punt this down the field? I'm pretty good at this one too, actually. Um, Can we just punt this down the field? Nobody wins. Now down here is somebody who, so this is I win, you lose, I lose, you lose, nobody does anything. This is I lose, you win. The accommodating fighter is the teddy bear. Can we just hug it out? I just want to make sure you win. Are you good? And the last one is the collaborating fighter. This is the team player. The imagery here is an owl, somebody who sits over top of a situation and wisely says, here's how I can win and here's how you can win. I don't know which one you are. Maybe you could just pause for a second and circle who you are. Are you the competitive fighter? Are you the collaborative, the accommodating, the avoidance, the compromising? The critical thing here is to know which one am I? What are my tendencies? Are my tendencies to fight? Amen? Are my tendencies to collaborate, to avoid, to accommodate, to compromise? What are my tendencies? Now, I want to give you a couple of little tricks here, um, some little hacks for dealing with if you're married to or you're it, singles, again, don't check out. If you're, if you're in this conversation with somebody else or you're, you're dating someone, here's, here's how you know. Um, if you're married to a competitive fighter, you want to ahead of time set boundaries and ground rules. I love the interview we did earlier, Big Mike and Lamisa, and what they decided was we need to ahead of time have ground rules of things we will not accept and we will not do. You need to, and, and if you're married to the competitive fighter, that doesn't mean you set the rules. It means you both set the rules. You both have to have buy-in to what the rules are so that when the temperature goes up, you can go back and say, here's what we said we're going to do and not going to do. If you're married to an avoidance fighter, here's what you have to do. You just have to always do what you said you will do and tell the truth and keep your promises. They're avoiding because they've had a bad experience with conflict in the past and they run from it. They need to see consistency over time that they can trust you in conflict. If you're married to a compromising fighter, you need to be willing to negotiate and be patient. They're always going to try to punt the ball down the field. You need to say, okay, cool, let's do this Friday and set a time of when you can come back to the conflict. If you're married to an accommodating fighter, you don't want to push them or pressure them. Because if you push them or pressure them, they're always going to fall back and just say, fine, you win. And what you've got there is you've got agreement, but you don't have alignment. Sometimes we get in situations and we agree, but we have not aligned. In other words, I'm going to say yes just so we can keep going on. That's what Pastor Conway talked about sometimes. I'm just, I've quietly quit this marriage. If you're married to a collaborative fighter, there's something you need to ask them. Are you telling the full truth? Because the collaborative fighter sits up and wants both sides to win. Their tendency is to not always tell the 100% truth because they just want both people to get a win. So you have to figure, you might be thinking, man, my spouse is all of these. Well, I'm praying for you. Um, You want to identify where you are on the chart and how you fight and the best way to fight together. Because I'm telling you, we need to fight in our marriages if our marriages are going to be stronger. So what we've got to figure out is are we ready to rumble? Are we ready to crumble? We've got to have our minds ready for the right kind of fights and be all the way in for what God wants to do in our relationships. Rumble or crumble. And I don't mean rumble like go in just guns blazing. I mean rumble for a healthy fight. Now, I want to give you seven steps 
to fight your way to a healthy marriage. Chasing fights, chasing conflict. It sounds so opposite of what we do. We think we should run for it, but I want to give you seven steps, and then we'll be out of here today. Seven steps. Number one, Christ-like conflict overlooks a lot. Proverbs 19.11 says it this way. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. In other words, some of these things we don't need to be fighting for. A fool has a short temper and is short-fused and ready to go at any disagreement. You have to be like um, Kenny Rogers had this song, you got to know when to hold them and you got to know when to fold them. you got to know when to walk away and know when to run. That's all the song I know. Um, <laughs> uh, You've got to know the situation and know when you need to walk away, when, when you need to walk away from the argument and come back to it, or when you need to let it go. And again, I'm not talking about things that will do long-term damage to your relationship. I'm talking about the little things that we don't need to be fighting for. Number two is Christ-like conflict is gentle. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Here's what gentleness does. It does not use words like always and never. You always, you never. It doesn't speak in extremes. Gentleness lowers its voice to match the situation. Gentleness says, I'm going to stay in the cortex part of my thinking. Gentleness pursues the problem, not the person. Gentleness does not address it in public in front of other people. Gentleness is caring for the other person in the conflict. Number three, Christ-like conflict listens twice as much as it talks. Ooh, Jesus. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Proverbs 18, 13. When you give an answer before you've heard the other person, it is folly and shame to you. In other words, you are being foolish. We don't want to be waiting to give our side of the view, like double dutch. When is it my turn to go? Boom. The best thing we can do in any conflict is ask, ask, ask more questions. Ask them what's going on. Ask them how they feel. Ask them how the situation's going. We want to ask, ask, and ask always. Number four, Christ-like conflict owns its part of the problem. You know what the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. And I love this passage here. This is the passage where the Pharisees are calling out little things that other people are doing wrong. And in this passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, they're saying, look at all the stuff that's going wrong with them. And Jesus basically says, why are you so concerned with the piece of dust in your neighbor's eye when you have a whole sycamore tree coming out of your face? Why are you trying to become a professional dust spotter when you have a whole tree that you can't get rid of? And Jesus is literally, this is comedic relief here. And he's saying, can you own your slice of the pie, as Pastor taught us last week? Can you own your slice? Can you say, you know what the problem is? I'm not getting what I want. Number five, Christ-like conflict asks for forgiveness and is quick to forgive. Um, this passage right here, Ephesians 5.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Here's the deal. As God has forgiven us, we should forgive others. 
Our forgiveness demonstrates what we really believe about Jesus Christ. Our forgiveness demonstrates that we know and understand how much he has forgiven everything that we have done to not deserve a place with him. And when we realize that, then it makes it a little bit easier to forgive someone else. And the biggest challenge for most of us in conflict is we just need the cross to be a little bit bigger. When we focus on ourselves, the cross is not big enough. When we focus on everyone else, the cross gets larger and we can forgive. Here's what you do when you ask forgiveness. You need to first admit what you did wrong. You need to apologize. Then you need to ask for forgiveness. Admit it. I saw what that did and I saw how that made you feel. And then apologize. I am sorry very specifically that I did this that made you feel dumb. And then say, I'm sorry I did that. Will you forgive me? It's not just a sorry. There's a lot to asking forgiveness and then forgiving. And we have to be forgiving. Too many of us think we can't forgive because then we think that gives them permission to do whatever they just did over and over again. No, forgiveness is when we cancel their debt. It's when we say, God, I'm going to give you room to work in their life and to emotionally release me from the situation. God, this is between you and me and me releasing them. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. Forgiveness is not giving them a new loan. Forgive the debt, it might take time for a new loan. New loans come after time, trust, and truth. Sometimes, depending on how big the issue is, you have to put in the time and build the trust and get the truth back to get a new loan on whatever the situation is. But forgiving is canceling the debt and letting God do his work. Number six, Christ-like conflict is wise in the timing of the confrontation. Like apples of gold and settings of silver, the most valuable things there are is a word spoken in the right circumstances. The right zone for our fights means everything. And the last one is number seven. Christ-like conflict never loses hope, never loses redemptive hope. Christ-like conflict never loses hope in the situation. I want to tell you what it means to never Lose hope. Number one, a good fight keeps us real. Imagine living a life of no lies. A good fight keeps us 100% real and builds authenticity. A good fight also, here's the next thing a good fight does, is it sheds light on a situation and gives clarity. A good fight helps us see new perspectives and new ways of looking at our relationship. Clarity. Number three, a good fight clears the air. It gives us a fresh start. We get a new day. We get to go into new. Just like the gospel says we're a new creation, a good fight gives us a new start. Number four, a good fight also makes you stronger. It gives you security. When you know that you can be fully known, fully loved, no matter what's going on, it gives you security. And number five, a good fight gives God the glory. A good fight glorifies God in all things. When we avoid conflict, here's what we're doing. When we avoid conflict, we're missing an opportunity to make our relationship stronger. Let me re-say that. When we avoid good conflict, we miss an opportunity for God's grace to make our relationship stronger. Look at James chapter 3, verse 18. James chapter 3, verse 18 says it this way, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and will reap a harvest of righteousness. What we're trying to do is plant seeds of peace. 
so that every opportunity we have, we can make our relationships and those we come in contact with better and stronger. Here's what Jesus once said. Jesus once said it this way. He said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. He didn't say, now that you've heard them, you'll be blessed if you do them. Here is what I know. Some of us in the next 15 minutes are going to get an opportunity to practice this. <laughs> Some of us, it might be a couple hours. It might be by the, I, I'm, I'm guessing most of us by the end of this day will have a chance and we'll get into a conflict. Here's, what, here's how it's going to go. You're going to feel the temperature rising. Something's always been frustrating you. You've wanted to talk about something and you internally have to figure out which zone am I in. And when, when, when the conflict starts rising up, you say, you, you know what? I'm just not getting what I want in this situation. The more spiritually mature person is going to say that first. Praise the Lord. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to race to the back of the line and say, I want to be the humble one first. And say, I'm not getting what I want. And that's part of the issue here. And I'm going to stay in my hula hoop. And I want to encourage you that when you feel it rising up, which zone am I in? Am I in the green zone or am I in the red zone? And if I'm in the red zone, I need to pause. Take a deep breath. Reschedule this. Figure out how do I have timing right where I can be focused on the we instead of the me. And then we can fight our way to a better marriage that's stronger, more intimate, and more connected. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have that so many of us either run from or go to recklessly. We thank you that we have an opportunity to deal with conflict and that we can first of all look to you and how you dealt with conflict. We thank you, Jesus, for the model that you set for us. So God, right now, I pray that we can have hope in the midst of conflict, hope that there can be a better day, a new day, and that hope can be painful. God, I thank you for every person who's here and their spouse, their other one, or maybe they're not married, they're trying to work on this on their own. God, will you help us to take care of the inside of us? Will you help us to say, it's not you, it's me? God, will you help us not focus on the who, but the what that is going on inside of us? And God, even for the couples here, will you help us to encourage each other and look through how we can look at these battle zones and fight types so that we can set up, not so that we'll always win, but the, so at least we'll eliminate the foolish fights. And God, most of all, like you've shown us, to know that it's okay to not always get what we want or deserve. I pray that you will push us towards being focused on the betterment of the other person and on us being humble in every situation. God, would you heal us and help us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.